There we go. All right, so yeah, we are on chapter 19. And if you uh, have been following with us, the last few chapters have been the judgment of Babylon and a lot of uh, judgment against Babylon. We talked a lot about, I'm not gonna go into it now, but you can go back and listen to the last couple of sessions. Um, and then chapter 18 was, was pretty much a celebration hymn. And I pointed out to everybody, um, the text in your Bible, if it looks different, it's because it's describing um, a poem. Sometimes translations will put the words in italics. Sometimes you'll see the words separated into phrases like a poem is often printed in a book. Some didn't have that, but mine do. And if yours does, that's why. So 18 was the judgment of the Great Babylon. Now we're going to see how that continues in chapter 19. And like I said, we're going along a little quicker than we have been because it's a little easier to move forward to these some of these chapters here. So why don't we handle, uh, let's start with 19 verses 1 through 6. If somebody wants to read 19 verses 1 through 6. I'll read. Thank you. I'm Christina. Um, after these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again they say, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you, his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent im reigns. Just up to six, right? Yeah. Okay. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Yes. Linda said the Hallelujah Chorus. This is where it comes from. At least one of the main inspirations for it. How does that go? Which which chorus? Hallelujah. 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 Oh. That one. Um, <laughs> who's the composer? Handel. Handel's Messiah. That's the yeah. yeah. I used to sing that. Yeah. Um, yeah, we associate with Christmas. I'm not sure exactly why we do. For the Lord God, because it talks about Christ's birth, maybe. That's it, yeah. That's how I learned how Jesus Christ is God was through the Hallelujah, this the song. That's <laughs> that years ago when I was becoming a Christian. Ah. Linda's saying, I uh, can't hear that, that this was, uh, they would do performances and stand up when the king came in and he came in for this one. So, um, so anyway, yeah. Oh, that's why everybody stands up then when they sing it. That's right, Alan. And Linda says, that's why. When they first sang that at the Christmas concert, the first time we had it, it was a, um, uh, they sang that song at the very end. Yep. yep. And all of a sudden, all the evangelicals and all the Protestants that were there stood right up, us Orthodox sat until we realized that we should stand with them. <laughs> but it wasn't, it didn't have any religious thing. It was because the king had come in. Yeah. 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 Now I understand. I always like that because you, you sit and sometimes we go to concerts and often, you know, classical music, there's a lot of religious basis for it, but it's weird to listen to like a concert. Uh, but when you stand, you realize like this is worship. This is praise. This is not just entertainment. Um, all right, so we're having this continued celebration. Let's go back to verse one. Um, it says, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Listen to that and think about it in the context of the whole book. And why do you think each of those might be significant? Think of, of the audience of the book, the time it's being written, 
the situation they're in, message of the book we've talked about, why are salvation, glory, and power really important, and the why to say they belong to God. My because, Bible honor. Okay, again, Christina. My my Bible also says honor, salvation, and glory, and honor and power. Okay. I don't know if it's yeah, I got the Orthodox Study Bible. Yeah. Right. New, New King James. James. What were we gonna say, Alan? I was gonna say, is it because um, people were questioning that Christ is God, is the Son of God? Um, they were questioning, getting to question maybe um, some of the beliefs that Christians had, and yeah, and not just questioning them. Um, at the time this was written, at the height of the Roman Empire and in the middle of Christian persecution, who did salvation and glory and power belong to? The king. Yeah, the emperor, the Roman emperor. Now, you've all seen that, that scene in movies, whether in Gladiator or other movies, where the, the gladiator has won the battle, but he hasn't killed his victim yet. He's standing over him with a sword. And where does everybody look? The sword? The emperor. They look to the emperor, and what's he going to do? Thumbs up or thumbs down. Up or down, right? Mm -hmm. That's the power of salvation. That's the power of judgment. So in the context of the book, to say hallelujah, which means praise God or sing to God, salvation and glory and power and honor, depending on which text you have, belong to our God would not sound realistic in the situation this this reading was first heard it would be like saying um in the middle of uh, i don't know soviet russia uh, when people are being killed by the by the word of the state and of the czar or not the czar but the uh the soviets and their government and the premier and the kgb and all that you know, it, it would seem ridiculous because they're not seeing that. They're seeing salvation and glory and power belonging to the state, to the king, whoever the power happens to be. So this part of the prophecy is, again, we've, we've talked about this a lot last week, too. We're, we're painting a picture. We're being given this, this vision of a very different reality that we know in the context of the book is the coming reality. And we've talked a lot about how what John is trying to do as the author and, and the message from God is, yeah, you're seeing the situation around you now and it looks horrible and it looks very threatening and fearful, but look where the story ends. You know, I used a football analogy earlier. It's like you're in the middle of the game, you're in the, you're in the third quarter and your team is down by like 70 points. And then somebody flashes forward and as a vision to the end of the game and at the end of the game, your team wins that kind of a contrast um and if you know that if you're given a vision in the third quarter with your team down by that many points and you know that your team is going to win that changes your attitude it changes your maybe even your your allegiance maybe you think of switching sides if you're in a battle and and it looks like your your side is losing but you know in the end you're going to win so that's, that's the context, and all of those things, each one of them in particular, belonged at the time to Rome. Salvation was up to Rome, glory, the glory of Rome, the power of Rome, the honor belonging to Rome. Now we're seeing this great multitude in heaven, not just one person, the great multitude shouting, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. In other words, yeah, you might think there's another winner, but the judgment of this one is the right judgment. And in his judgment, all the that power is going to be gone. It's going to be nothing compared to the power of God. And then he gets very specific. Which judgment? He has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. We talked about that before, too. It's their killing of the martyrs, which appear to be the height of their power, which is actually their greatest crime. That's, that's, the, that's the crime for which they're going to be punished, was the killing of the martyrs. 
It says in the notes of the Orthodox Study Bible, if I'm reading it right, um, Alleluia, appearing in the New Testament only here, is from the Hebrew for praise the Lord. So this is the only time in the New Testament you see the word Alleluia. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. That's what it says in the footnotes. Very interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a lot in this in the Psalms, which of course is in the Old Testament. I didn't realize it was only in this, in the New Testament. Hallelujah, or Hallelujah is only here. In the New Testament, it's the only place you find it. Uh, what, how do they translate it? Praise, um, uh, praise the Lord. Hebrew for praise the Lord. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Yeah. He said some of the translations they have in their, in their songs they sing is God is here, God is present, which again, when you think of, you, you hear of differences, try to see the commonality and you, you bridge the, the, the lack of understanding. If one translation is God is here and one says God saves or praise God or sing to God, right. We're praising him because he's here and because he's here, he's one. He's victorious. That Yah is interesting. Um, hallelujah or Hallelujah. The Yah is part of that Old Testament name for God that would never be pronounced. L is often used as God, like his name, like the Lord or the Almighty, like 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 Michael, Michael, the L is the God, it's, it's the Lord. But when you translate it, if you're being literal, the Yah is not just the Lord of the powerful, it's the name that God has chosen for himself, the name that he gave uh, Moses at the burning bush. All right, so he's avenged the blood of his servants. Once more they cried, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. What's, what's the significance of that smoke going up for forever and ever? What kind of smoke are we talking about? Prayers? Is that the Holy Spirit? I don't think so. Hmm. If he's judged her and avenged on her, the blood of the servants, which is verse two. Oh, and her smoke rises up forever and ever. Right. Does that mean it's going to hell? It's destruction. You think about a battle, and after the battle, you see those ruins and the smoke coming up. Whatever is, is interesting, because the image works in any age. This could be a thousand years BC. It could be the Roman Empire. It could be present day. When there's smoke coming up from a city nothing left it's been destroyed so it's loss it's it's not not being victorious it's being destroyed and you know you think about uh london in world war ii after the bombings and the smoke going up well was that permanent did the smoke continue to go up forever and ever no london rebuilt england rebuilt england regained status regained structure and, and and power the smoke from from this ruin goes up forever and ever meaning the destruction is permanent it's mm -hmm. not going to recover okay and then we get a scene that we've glanced back to at different points we got we had this scene early on and we glance at it a few times. We're back to the throne room. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. So that great multitude in heaven sings a song. Um, then now the 24 elders and the four living creatures sing the song. Praise our God, all you servants who fear him small and great. And then the multitude again, like the sound of many waters, crying, hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. So this is, this is universal celebration in heaven. It's very specific where this is happening on verse 1. Great multitude in heaven. 
And why are they celebrating? Because Babylon fought, fell. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, is Deb on the on the call? No, I don't see her today. Oh, okay. How about Maria? Yeah, Maria and James. They're on. They're on. Right here. Oh, okay. <laughs> Are you on your phone, Alan? I am. I couldn't get into on the computer for some reason. Yeah. Uh, let me read you something here from Andrew Caesarea. Hallelujah signifies divine praise, while amen means truly or let it be so. This praise is common both from the angelic powers as well as from humankind, which is similar to the angels. And this praise is sent up to God three times on account of the trihypostatic. We'll go back to that word in a minute. Trihypostatic deity of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, one God. God has avenged the blood of his servants from the hand of Babylon and has benefited her inhabitants by accomplishing the cessation of sin through punishment. The words that the smoke from the city goes up forever and ever show either the unforgettable nature of the punishment that has come upon the city or that although she meted out punishments in part, and to some extent she will, nonetheless, be punished eternally in the coming age. Once again, it's permanent judgment, permanent uh, um, loss, destruction. I like this other comment. This is... Um, in terms of you know why well, we keep hearing hallelujah here at what three or four times in this in this section um bead says the great voice of those singing indicates the great devotion of the heart by the manifold repetition of praise the voice rejoices in the destruction of the wicked and the eternal glory of the lord and of those who are his you know sometimes we orthodox get accused of vain repetition because the, in the scriptures jesus warns against it our reply is that we repeat, but hopefully don't repeat in vain, that the repetition of praise is because it keeps coming from us. It's an eternal process. It's not praise God and then we're done. Ongoing praising of all he's done for us. Oh, I, I wanted to go back to that trihypostatic. Um, in... in in the early church, there was this controversy about how do the persons of the Trinity relate to each other, um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the formula of, of the councils said that there are three, what we say in English, three persons that unite in one nature. And that word person is from this word hypostatic, hypo meaning under, you get a hypodermic needle, it's hyper under dermis, the skin. So hypo under static, um, what, what's on the outside. It's, it's, it's like this, um, it's the stuff that stands underneath. It's what stands under, Stasi stand. Um, so it's, it's, it's the, the underlying, so it's, it's the, it's, Three persons, but what underlines them is the is in common. That's the trihypostatic. It's the three persons, but united together. <laughs> All right. Questions in that section before we move on. All right. So this uh, this hymn is going to continue. Let's look at verses seven through nine. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arraigned in the fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the, is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. <clears throat> so I go one more, go to verse 10. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Okay, this is really important for us to understand. And, and we Orthodox understand the idea of Christ the bridegroom. When do we hear about Christ the bridegroom in our liturgical year? Uh, Lent. Holy Lent. Week. Yeah, Lent. Holy Week specifically. Um, the early part of it, we start doing the matin service. We celebrate in the evening. I won't get into that complication right now, but those bridegroom matins that we can do Sunday through Wednesday, if we do all of them. Um, the whole theme of that is Christ coming to the marriage. And you'll remember on, on Palm Sunday evening at the first bridegroom matins, um, the priest processes out with the icon and sings that hymn, Behold, the bridegroom comes. So there's two images. One is that Christ is the bridegroom, and he comes, and the icon, you see him, you could actually Google it if you're on your computer. Um, it's Christ dressed in his, um, his clothing of suffering. So he's wearing the purple robe, he has the crown of thorns, he has the rod that were given him as mocking, but it was, it's the instruments of his suffering. Um, but, so he's coming, and he's coming for his marriage to the bride, and we're the bride. The whole hymn is about being ready, and making sure that we, the bride, are ready for the coming of the bridegroom. Um, so, you know, this is still very much a part of our understanding. So when we hear this, this is not news to us as Orthodox. Um, for the marriage when, life, I, when I was teaching Sunday school, I always uh, taught the kids to be ready and use the example of the, the 10 virgins. And my, when I was growing up, uh, me and my sisters, we had a babysitter. She was um, Christian Reformed. She had does not, she did not go to the movie theater because when Christ was going to come again, she, I think she understood that she didn't want to be caught in the movie theater when Christ had his second coming. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, those, those traditions, a lot of them, they were not allowed to play cards, for example. Right. <laughs> yeah. Linda's remembering your lesson as your as your former student. <laughs> I don't know if I had Linda. Did I have Linda? Yes, you did. She said, "Oh, you're in trouble now." That, you forgot her. That well, that was my my early teaching. I'm talking about uh, my later teaching. <laughs> <laughs> Good save, Alan. Good save. <laughs> You, you are a more, she was a more recent student in her young age. Good, good save. <laughs> oh, you're not off the hook. She's shaking her head. Anyway, um, yeah, so the, yeah, you're right. That, that parable of the, the bridegroom coming and being prepared is, is the same message. And so we're, we're given here the exact preparation. Um, it was granted her to be clothed with fine linen, bread and pure, and the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Our obedience, our righteousness is our preparation. And then we're going to get into to a little more about this in the, in the next section. Now, who's speaking to him? So if you, you have to go back to the previous section. Um Yeah, so the voice says, praise God, all you servants, you fear me. And then all this voice is continuing. Let us re rejoice and exult and give him glory. And then we now we hear who the voice is in verse 9. And the angel said to me. Now remember, angel, you can't always think angel, angel. But in this case, we know it is because um, John 
He says, then I fell down. That's John speaking now. Then I fell down at his feet and worshiped to worship him. Yeah. Yes. So the angel says, write this down. These are the true words of God. And then John says, I fell down at his feet to worship it. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Now, let's go back to that for a second. So anyway, this is John saying he fell down to the angel. The angel said, don't fall down to me. I'm a fellow servant. So that's how we know this is, this is just an angel. It's not, because sometimes it says an angel, meaning messenger, and the messenger is Jesus. He's saying, no, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you. And then let's go back to what I... The, Ar the Orthodox Study Bible doesn't use the word angel. What does it say? Then he said to me. He said to me, okay. Yeah, but in Revelation 18.1, it does say that um, the angel coming down from heaven, it does talk about it in the Orthodox, I mean, in the Bible and... So I think, right, so you're talking about angel in the previous chapter? Well, some, some texts are going to say the angel said, some are going to say he said to me. So it just depends on your translation and, and which text they're using. I have the Orthodox Study Bible, and on in 18.1, in the previous chapter, it says in the note... The, as God is light, so the angel coming down from heaven excludes a lingering radiance. So I'm assuming that that we're talking about an angel beforehand. So when it says he, we're talking about an angel. I don't know. Yeah, that's a, that's a different part. So it may not be the same person. Oh. So because we've had a lot happen between now and then, so it may or may it may be it may not be. Actually, some of those notes in 18 um, talk about that perhaps being Christ. Because um, let me go back. The angel coming down, yeah, in 18.1, has great authority, and the earth was made bright with his splendor. And he called out the mighty voice. So some of the of the commentators are going to say that that's Christ. Again, when it says an angel. Oh, okay. I get messenger. it. I get um, it. We, we think of angel as specifying the ones that we know of as the angels, Michael, Gabriel, and all the angelic powers. Mm -hmm. Angel in Greek is lowercase a, meaning messenger. Christ is, is a messenger. Um, in some icons, you look at some icons of John the Baptist, you'll see that they portray him with wings. Mm -hmm. Now, it doesn't mean he's an angel, but he's a messenger. And, and wings, even, even for the angels, they don't have wings. I mean, they, they're bodiless powers. We depict them with wings as a way of, of describing their, their work. But what do wings things do they move between great distances they bring messages so think think mess when you see angel hear the translation which is messenger now this time we know that it's not jesus because he's saying write this down um then john falls down he says don't do that to me i'm a fellow servant okay but i'm a fellow servant with you and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Does anybody have a different translation for that? Can you hear me, Father? There you are. Welcome. I didn't get the doorbell. I can only see a little. I only see whoever is speaking. It's really weird. I got in like a back door somehow. <laughs> it's, it didn't get in the normal way. What, where, what chapter and verse are you at? We're in 19. Right now we're on verse 9. nine Thank you. 10, verse 10. Okay, thank you. You're very wide today. <laughs> I know. I can't fix it. Oh, here. You'll maybe you'll, it'll change this. <laughs> and that's even worse. <laughs> wide screen. <laughs> anyway, um, so does anybody translation when it says hold to the testimony of Jesus? Does it say a different word there? Do all say testimony or do any say witness? No, mine says that. I have the, the Orthodox study Bible. It says testimony. The testimony. Okay. Anybody want to re guess what that word is in Greek or what it refers to? We've talked about this early on. The word testimony? Yeah. 
So in English, um, the word that is being translated is translated either as testimony or witness or mm -hmm. martyr. Martyrdom, right. Mm. Martyrion is the, is the Greek word. So I am a brother of you and those who have the testimony, who have the martyrdom of Jesus, who have the witness of Jesus. Now, if somebody holds or has the martyrdom of Jesus, there's two, two possible meetings there. What are they? Giving your life over to, to Christ? Yeah, and there's two ways you can do that, right? You might uh, giving your life like day to day, or giving your life by, by being martyred. Right. So the martyrs hold the testimony of Jesus, and they hold it by enduring what He endured. They give their life up. Their witness to Him is the fact that they gave their life up for Him. That's one way that people hold the testimony or told, hold the witness or hold the martyrdom of Jesus is they, when they're given the choice, you either follow him and you're going to die like he did, or you're going to escape. You'll be saved in the earthly sense. You know, the emperor gives a thumbs up. You're not killed. But that way, if, you, if you're not killed for Jesus, how do you hold the testimony of Jesus? Um, what was that? Would it be like working? Because it says in the Greek, dulia, which is work. It has to do with work. Yeah, and dulia is, is actually, it's work, but it's it's servant work. Right. Mm -hmm. The dulos is the servant. When, when we commune you, we commune in English as either a servant of God or a handmaid of God. The Greek word is dulos, dutheyu. Dulia, mm -hmm. woman, man or woman. The servant of God, the handmaid of God. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been watching Downton Abbey. <laughs> so, <laughs> servants. Okay. Not just, I like this job. I'm a servant. I, I, I'm a servant in the household. Um, and so you hold it by your service. Now, your service may lead you into actual martyrdom, physical martyrdom. Or it may not, but if, if your dedication is there, it won't matter whether or not you are, your dedication is there. So giving every moment of your life to God would be a martyrdom to God, exactly. dying daily. Exactly. And for us, we'd say that's, that's the martyrdom of obedience, whether it's keeping the commandments, whether it's, um, it's keeping your allegiance to God no matter what. And this next sentence is also very, very important. He says, uh, a fellow servant, you and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus, worship God. In other words, your, your testimony, your witness will be the one that you worship, the one that you bow down to and serve. And then this next sentence, for the testimony, the witness, the martyrdom of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's an odd phrase. What do you think that might mean? The spirit of prophecy. Well, I'll give you the answer. Some, something that's going to come in the future. Yeah, so prophecy usually, not always, but usually involves a future, telling of a future event. What's the purpose of prophecy? Is it just knowing what's going to happen? What's the purpose of it? To help you prepare for what's going to happen? Right. So it, it prophecy tells you what you do now because, again, it's that I'm in the third quarter and my team's losing. I'm going to see where the game ends so that it will change what I do now. If I'm in battle and our team is is losing horribly, my, my, my team, my, my, my army is losing horribly, I'm, I'm going to be tempted either to run away to, um, what's the word? Abandon the fight? Um, what's the word for it? Yeah. What was your question again, Father? When you're in a battle and you're tempted to desert, that's the word. Okay. You, you, you'd be tempted to desertion, right? Get out of the battle so you don't die because your team's going to, you stay on the battle, 
your army is going to be defeated. You will die. So you're either tempted to desertion, just leave the battle, or you're tempted to, what else might you do? Think Benedict Arnold. Go to the other side. Yeah. <laughs> be because a traitor. Your side's losing. Your side's dying. That side lives. So you might be tempted to go, okay, I give up. I'm on your side now. That's the temptation. And he's saying here, the prophecy, oh, let me go back to it. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, the heart of this whole message is the witness of Jesus and staying loyal to it. Even if it means you enter into it yourself. Let me read you a little, um, little phrase about this. Indeed, the whole point of prophecy and of the sanctifying work of the spirit lies in the testimony of Jesus Christ, whom the entire law and all prophecy serve. For this reason, when he manifested himself on the mountain between Moses and Elijah, and his face and his clothing were resplendent with brightness, that's the transfiguration, and he declared that the law and the prophets had truly testified of him. And so, whatever they foretold, whatever they had foretold, he himself testifies that it serves Christ and the church, for he said of Moses, for he wrote of me. And when he had risen from the dead, he said, everything written about me in the law and the Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So it's all about understanding what the work of Jesus is in his martyrdom, in his testimony, in his witness. Now, we talked about this early on, that Jesus is, is called the faithful witness early on in, in Revelation chapter one or two. Um, if he's a witness, if he's a martyr, who is he a witness to or for? What is, what is the witness testifying or to whom is the witness testifying? If, if goes to the cross, who's, who's he declaring his loyalty to? God? Yeah, God the Father. So Christ is always going to be in Revelation the first of the martyrs, the first of the witnesses, the faithful one, testifying to his loyalty to his father, to the one on the throne. And then throughout the book, he's inviting all those who are given the opportunity, you can side with me. And yes, it means there's going to be bloodshed and all those ugly things we saw. But now we're seeing where it ends up. We're seeing the, the end of the game. We're seeing which side is ultimately going to be the side that loses and the side that wins. And so when it says the, um, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, that's, in other words, that's the heart of the message. Questions on that? So, so you're saying prophecy is what's going to happen and we prepare for it. Is that what I, is, I guess I'm confused. I'm sorry. Prophecy is, is a, it's often, not always, but it's often a, a message about what's going to happen. But it's not about just knowing the future because it's interesting to know. Um, in the Old Testament, the way prophecy worked was the prophets would come and they'd say, unless you repent, here's what's going to happen. They would paint a picture, often of literally physical destruction. Unless Israel repents of their, of their sin, and their sin was always portrayed um, as unfaithfulness to their God. Sometimes it literally was. The, the, the different kings would bring in these foreign gods, um, Baal and um, these other you know, foreign false gods, they were always tempted because that's what people did back then. You, you collected gods to worship because that's more protection for you. And the prophets always said, when you do that, you're committing, you're being unfaithful. Just like a husband could be unfaithful to his wife or vice versa. If you worship another god, if you bow down and serve another god, you're being unfaithful. That was the great sin. And it remains here, the great sin. So the prophecy says, here's what is going to happen. 
but its purpose is to change what you do now. And again, especially if your present reality looks like loss, and if you switch sides, it's because you think, well, this side is losing anyway. The prophecy functions as a way to say to you, don't switch sides. Do you remember, how many of you saw the movie, The Patriot? I can't remember. <laughs> All right, so this is Mel Gibson. It's, it's American Revolution. He's in somewhere in the Carolinas. The last scene of the movie is they're going to war. Um, they're going to battle against the English forces. And the first part of this final battle, um, the Americans are, are losing. And I think he or someone picks up the, the American flag and carries it forward and says, come on, charge, charge, because they were being tricked into the loss when actually, if they were to just pick up and, and move forward again, they're about to win. So it looked at that point like they were losing and yet he's leading them back into battle. What's the function of picking up the flag? Why does that inspire anybody? It's the symbol of what you're fighting for, what you want to represent. Yeah, and what does a flag signify? It'd be like picking up the cross. Yeah, but but a flag specifically, what what does it? When when a flag is flying, what do you know? Where you're located. Well, it it you're still in power. You still have a chance. Yes, the power. In other words, if if you know, we wake up one day and we see the flag of China flying over the White House, what do we know? China- We're dead. <laughs> China's the power. If it's the Russian flag, whoever the power is, that's the power now. So when you, the flag is the symbol for who's in charge. Alan said, well, it tells you where you are. Yeah, it tells you where you are because it tells you who's in charge, who won. So, if Mark Gibson carries the American flag forward, even though the reality at that moment was English are winning, Americans are losing, the symbolism is, come on, boys, we're going to win if you stand up and move forward and charge. Same function here. It's saying that the spirit of, Je the, I'm sorry, the testimony of Jesus, the witness of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's the heart of the message that Jesus who appeared to be the greatest loser ever, right? Here he comes, he has all this power, he's doing all these things, and yet there he is dying on the cross. It, the, the, the appearance is ultimate loss. And loss to whom? To all of his enemies, civil, religious, everybody. Everybody put him on the cross. Pilate put him on the cross, Herod put him on the cross, the chief priest put him on the cross. So the appearance is ultimate loss, but we know, because we know how the story ends, and we put our faith in not only the crucified Christ, but the risen Christ, that witness is the spirit of the prophecy. It's the heart of this message. Because again, if you're hearing this and it's first century um, you know, Mediterranean Roman Empire. Is, is your situation closer to the crucifixion of Christ or the resurrection of Christ? At the moment, this is being written and therefore read. Crucifixion. Yeah. Our people are dying. Our people look like we've lost. They're carting us away one by one. They're going to the arenas. They're being killed. All these horrible things are happening. The blood of the martyrs is flowing. It looks like loss. But the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It looked like loss for him too. And what the revelation, what the vision is inviting us to see is that, well, it looked like loss then, but look what's happening now. And what's the scene we're being pointed to? It's the heavenly Jerusalem, the victorious city of God, rising up in celebration because Babylon has fallen and the smoke of her ruin goes up forever and ever. So that's the, that's the function of prophecy. Future vision 
but to change your current decision-making, your current assessment of what's going on, and therefore to whom you're going to be loyal. You're in the Roman Empire and you're a Christian at this time, you feel a very big pull. Yeah, you want to be faithful to Christ. That's what you want. It's, it's what your heart tells you. But when people are being carted off and being killed in such horrible ways, you also feel that pull. What he's trying to do, I said that he's trying to tip the scales for your decision making to say, don't be deceived. Look who's going to win. Stay on the winning side, which at the time you're being hear hearing this looks to be the losing side. Let's see. Yeah, let's what was that? Well, let's see. Um, now, let's stop here, but I want to ask an important question. <laughs> we could push on, but we'll, we'll wait on that. We'll be patient. What does this have to do with us? <laughs> Why is this relevant to us? Because everything that's happening in the world and particularly, you know, in our government and everything, no matter what, we have to choose who we're really going to be faithful to and just um, and follow that for our path. We can't lose our heads over which side won or lost in the election good and with the with COVID, even with the COVID, i mean we, we have no control over it i mean we all did what we could and that's all we can do yeah so so the temptation might be and those are two different but similar situations in in first century roman empire the obvious power is rome and we see how Revelation is going to re, repaint a picture for the actual power versus the appearing of, of the power of Rome or what it looks like. So yeah, there are a lot of folks that are either really happy or really sad about the election. And one of the reasons is, I mean, there's some good reasons to be happy or sad that are legitimate, but the people that are really celebrating or really suffering, one of the mistakes they're making, perhaps, is that they have put too much power into the illusion of either political side. And not thinking about themselves and repenting their own actions moment by moment. Yep. Or trying to at least. Yep. So the Babylon in our day and age, it could be a political party or movement or even our government that we're afraid of what the government's gonna do now that this party is in power or that party is out of power the power is politics, government, and all the rest. That's, that's one interpretation. I think it's absolutely valid. All right, Deborah also mentioned COVID. What is the threat of COVID ultimately? Death. Death. Being okay. taken over by a country? Well, in terms of, of, of the, the, the power of it, that no one's afraid that you're gonna get it and not have symptoms. You might be afraid that you'll get it and you'll end up in the hospital and suffer a lot because it's so horrible. But most people that are really afraid of it, they don't want to die from it. So its power is death. And we could make the mistake of saying, oh, because of our fear of death, we're going to live in such a way that we perhaps we might hoard, we might condemn others who don't do what we want them to do so even death itself the message for us is don't put too much stock into death being the ultimate power to be feared like republicans and democrats like governments it's going to fall and you're going to see that in the next as this chapter goes on we go to chapter 20 you're going to see death itself is going to be condemned mm -hmm. so that's another option for us um Christina, you, you made the point of our, our choices day to day. Every one of us faces temptations. 
And the temptations are tempting because what we're tempted to appears to give us power, comfort, pleasure, uh, protection, whatever it happens to be, it offers a promise. But because it's temptation or temptations to sin, we're going to say very clearly that every sin offers a promise that it can't fulfill. They don't actually give us pleasure. If they do, it's very momentary, and then it flees. And then we're left with the reality of that the temptation was a lie. So that's another enemy. So all these things, we could, we could name probably three or four more. All of them are ways of saying, how do we interpret this now? Why is it important now? Because we are all tempted to give allegiance or faith in the wrong power. And we'll just give you a hint for next week. Um, in the next verse here, um, uh, verse 11, this, we're going to see a white horse and a rider. And he who sat on him is called faithful and true. There's that word faithful again. He's the loyal one. He's a faithful one. He's, he does not change his allegiance when things get tough. So, and that's, again, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's the example for us. Don't be deceived. Don't fall in to an allegiance to something or someone that looks to be powerful, looks to be able to save you, when in the end it will be not Christ, but an antichrist, and instead of Christ, a false Christ. And that's where, where this book is, I think, such an important one for us to understand today, because like in every age, there are always going to be powers that can appear to us that smart people will follow that. Smart people are going to be afraid of COVID. Smart people are going to follow Democrats. Smart people are going to follow Republicans. Smart people are going to believe America is the greatest. So there's always going to be a smart people that will put allegiance to that power. And the temptation is to put that above God. And to those of us who think we're immune to such a temptation, um, especially if you're one who, who follows politics, think about the time and the effort we put into following all that stuff and compare that to our religious uh, acts of devotion. And you can see that we're often, all, all of us are very often left wanting. <laughs> think about the money that is spent on politics i was listening on the on the way in this morning to church that this runoff election the senate in georgia two runoff elections will be the most expensive perhaps billions of dollars will be spent i heard 100 million oh 100 million and where are they going to get the money right <laughs> us our you know, people i know They'll just print it out of thin air on paper. Runoff election in Georgia will determine. No, to for the Senate because they haven't picked the, the. It was so close they got to redo the election run runoff. They had, yeah, there were several candidates. They got it down to two in each one. Now they got a runoff. So again, it you know and and fifty percent. How did we come to the Georgia? What's that, James? I say if you got under 50%, you have to have a runoff. Okay. That's not how the uh, it's set up in Georgia. You have to be over 50% to be declared a winner. Right. And nobody got it, so they're doing the runoff. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of effort, a lot of resources being given because a lot of people, and, and let's be honest, the majority of them would probably call themselves Christians, I'm not saying contributing to a political campaign is a bad thing necessarily, but I'm saying in terms of, of the message of Revelation, it's very easy to put our devotion into things that we put much more devotion to those than we do to God. And we put our hopes in those things where Revelation is always going to say to us, you only have one hope and it's only in God. Everything else there might be good things that come out of it, but your ultimate hope is going to be in God because everything that's not with God is going to be a smoking ruin. Mm -hmm. So, Father, how do we 
what are the practical ways of following God? So, well, if, if he, if you really believe he's going to win, you want to stay on his side, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we stay on his side? Um, the same way we do if we're on anybody's side. If I'm, if I'm a, uh, a fan of a football team or if I'm a follower political candidate or a party, what do I do? I, I, I go to gatherings and I give my, my time. I bond with that community. I show my, my loyalty by what I wear and how I act and who I talk to and what I say. Um, I show my loyalty by my decisions. So it's no different. If we are going to put our trust in God, we're going to worship him. If that means you worship from home on a live stream or you come to the church, whatever your decision, but you worship him. Um, you obey him. If he's the, the one you're going to devote yourself to, that when temptation comes and you would like to do something different that's against his way, you decide against that feeling and you, you choose to do the thing that is the faithful choice. So it's all these decisions we make, like you said, in, in everyday life that are going to show the reality of our choices. And we just, every time there's that choice, loyalty to God, disloyalty to God, we're going to choose loyalty. And when we don't, what are we going to do? We're going to repent. Okay. Um, we, we made mention early on that um, the, the best way to get to God is, is martyrdom. If you're given the opportunity, you'll seek it. But if, you, if it's offered to you, take it. The other thing you have is if you're not going to give in that choice, why, why was Babylon condemned? Yeah, it was her acts, but she didn't repent of her acts. So Revelation is going to say to us, if you find yourself, you've made a wrong choice, better repent right away get back on the winning side <laughs> because you don't know when that final trumpet's going to get blown that's right but it does the game's over and you want to be on the right side the only thing that matters in a game in a battle in a campaign is that when the final point is counted final vote is counted final soldier falls whatever it is who's the winner then Right? This election is a great example. People can project all they want. They can read all the polls they want. One thing matters. That is when the last ballot is counted, who's got more? So that's, that's the key. Is, is The only thing that matters is where you are in the end. And Revelation says to us, you don't know when the end is going to be. And what's the great example? Babylon. Babylon said, oh, we're fine. Look at our power. Look at our might. Look at our glory. Look who we're elite. We, we're doing great. She, she didn't need to repent. And then in this twinkling of an eye, all of a sudden, who has come from behind victory of this wounded lamb that looked like he should have been dead and yet he's still alive. He's the one that wins in the end. Mm hmm All right, everybody. Well, thank you. Good to see you all. Yeah. Christina, is this the first time you've joined us? Yeah, this is. I'm trying to get more involved, so oh. um, I, I'm going to be going to more activities. And first time in a while, she's been around before. <laughs> I, I used to go oh. with uh, Father Dan and Alfreda. Yeah, and they were there years and years ago, and um, used to go to Muskegon up north. Um, Annunciation Greek Orthodox Church. My parents go there now, um, and I go to St. Wilberts. You live so in? Oh, I live in Zealand. Uh, Zealand, okay. okay. Mm -hmm. I thought you were at Holy Cross, but you're you go to say Willow I Brown. Cross a long time ago, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. But it was a long time ago, and they moved. They moved to another location. Yeah, yeah. We think so. Very good. Yeah, are, nice. What, are there more? Are there more Bible studies? Is it every week? How does this? How does this work? Yeah, every Thursday, Thursday at 10. Except for Thanksgiving. That's true. <laughs> yeah, we have service on Thanksgiving, which we're, I think we're is- We're going to give a different allegiance that day. <laughs> Actually, we'll be. At this time, we'll be in liturgy, so that's a good thing. It yeah. depends if the turkey's in the oven or not. <laughs>
Do it my way, and it's the quick, it's the two-hour cooking of the turkey. I heat. <laughs> go to church, come home, put the turkey in, you can still eat by two o'clock. Right. <laughs> are there other, well, Father, can you give me a call later, maybe? I, I'd like to ask you some questions about things like that. Sure. I'll give you my, my cell phone. You call me, because I'm going to get busy, then I'm going to forget. <laughs> okay. 616. 616. 216. 216. 316. 3537. 3537. Thank you. All right. Good to see you all. Thank, Thank you. you.